You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. It's a... We're hearing some background noise, some beeping. But anyway, it's a beautiful day out here in sunny California. I had a very interesting letter coming to me uh, to DrAnnSchiebert.com, and I not only thought that the person writing it was rather amazing, I also thought that he was wise and that his thinking mirrored the idea that he wanted to live his life to the fullest. And here's what he wrote. I thought I'd share this with you. Dear Dr. Ann, I listened to your guest talk about mid-chapters, and I can so relate to her story. I got burned out in my career, and in my late 40s, I decided to do something new for fun. I decided to groom horses on the weekends. And parenthetically, listeners, when I was reading this, I thought, what? That is really cool, but that's really kind of different. So I'm going back to the letter that he wrote. Since I was a kid, I have loved horses. I still love everything about them. Every Friday, I get so excited about my weekends with the horses. These horses have been rescued from some horrendous circumstances, so grooming them is my way of giving something back. They love me and I love them. They are my mid-chapter, and I have a rainbow every weekend. Thank you, Greg from Oregon. So for those of you who missed my interview with Lee Martin, we discussed the concept of mid-chapters, which is a way of planning for and creating a venture or realizing a dream for yourself when you transition from employment to retirement, from parent to an empty nest, and from master of one career to a master of something else in your life. In that program, Lee Martin talked about how the path of fulfilling your dreams can be like a rainbow in that rainbows offer us opportunities to view new um, perspectives. They're breathtaking, and they're not a straight line, and we never know what the end of it looks like. It's just sort of like a venture. Rainbows offer soul renewal, magnificent inspiration, and they disappear without warning. So I say to you and to myself and to my patients, grab any rainbows that come your way. And a rainbow is in our um, guest star place today. And his name is Dr. William Birdsong, and he is grabbing his rainbow. But before we discuss just how he's doing that, I want to tell you a little bit about this amazing physician, and I am so honored to even know him. So Dr. Birdsong grew up in Pacheco, California, and he's been working as an emergency department physician in one of America's largest HMOs since 2001. Because he works in the area in which he grew up, and this is rather amusing, Dr. Birdsong often finds himself treating patients he's known since kindergarten. Can you imagine? So I guess for some of his longtime friends, Dr. Birdsong is that kind of physician who many seek out in times of emergencies. I wish I'd known you back then, but I'm older than you. Um, so Dr. Birdsong received his bachelor's degree in psychology from the University of California, Santa Cruz, 
and after graduation, he did neurotoxicology research at the University of California, San Francisco, before attending medical school at that same university. And listeners, for those of you who do not live in the Bay Area, San Francisco University of California Medical School and Hospital is where other medical centers send their patients when they can't provide their patients the services that are needed or when they don't have the expertise in the area that the patient requires. It is a highly respected medical school and hospital. But back to Dr. Birdsong. After medical school, Dr. Birdsong did a four-year residency in emergency medicine at the New York University Bellevue Medical Center in New York City. Through the extensive training he received while there, Dr. Birdsong learned expertise in the entire spectrum of medical issues that usually wind up in the emergency department, such as cardiovascular problems, respiratory emergencies, trauma, toxicology, and infectious diseases. Given that amazing background, we are actually not here to interview Dr. Birdsong about his medical prowess. No, we're going to talk to him about his rainbows, which are triathlons, percussion, jazz, and Latin and Brazilian music. And listeners, as an aside, I've had the privilege of listening to some of Dr. Birdsong's rainbows, and they are really remarkable. And in addition, Dr. Birdsong is the person who produced all the music that you hear on Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. Welcome, Dr. Birdsong. It's an honor to have you on Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio today. Good morning. Thank you. It's great to be here. Oh, my gosh. We're so honored. So before we explore your rainbows and your experiences with learning new things as an adult, I'd like to ask you a few questions about being a physician in an emergency department. I suspect that our listeners would view that as a rare opportunity for a peek behind the scenes. Is that okay with you? Sure. That's fine. Oh, Oh, good. Okay. Okay, listeners, here we have it. We have it from the, an ED physician. So first of all, would you tell us what it's like to be a physician in an emergency department? Uh, well, thanks for having me on your radio show. I really appreciate it. And um, regarding being an emergency physician, uh, it's a pretty challenging job, I can say. But uh, I think the biggest challenge overall is the fact that it could, it has a tendency to make people either cynical or or stronger, I think, in the long run, and I think it's really important to be able to be resilient and to bounce back from all the stress. People come to emergency departments with a lot of, well, they come with problems. The first thing you ask them is, what's your chief complaint? And uh, they come with a complaint and my job is to help try to figure out whether it's serious or not, and if it is, to treat it. And um, people come in distress. They're anxious and they're worried. And, uh, you know, that, that to me is the biggest challenge is the, the ability to navigate through, you know, really choppy psychological waters, if you will, on a almost daily basis and then not bring it home and to come home and carry on with your life and not feel like you've absorbed all of that. There's a lot of negative energy, and yet the job itself is overall a very positive thing, and how do you 
how do you work that out, I think, is, is a bit of a conundrum. I know a lot of emergency physicians who are relatively unhappy or burnt out or don't enjoy the job, and um, I take note and try to prevent that from happening to myself. And over the, over the few over the years, there's been a trajectory from you know the beginning to the middle of the career, and it's at that point in the middle of the career when a lot of physicians start to get burned out. And I've done my very best to try to prevent that. Um, you know, it's, it's cognitively challenging. You have a lot of tasks switching and interruptions, and it's very unscheduled. Hey, Joe, and uh, I got there a message a large, in my uh, office telephone. Hearing a little if I didn't feedback. call this yeah, number back, leave my, so at least leave my the last four digits of my social security. And it's, uh, I think the big, you know, the technical challenges and knowledge and skill and things uh, are important. But the biggest challenge, I think, is is the well-being challenge, frankly. I kept it and turned it over to somebody, but... I didn't even know, know you from the emergency department, and I know for sure that you anyway, rarely sit down. In fact, they call I see you standing and running around most of the time. I a lot of police and I'm curious, how long are your shifts? How long are you, like, on red alert? they knock on the door. Um, Talk to you later. Pretty much uh, start. And, uh, we're making the way it works is we our shifts are 8 to 10, sometimes 12 hours. Oh, by the way, uh, rarely, often, the, often up to 11 hours, uh, and there's just a mixture of shifts. One of the biggest challenges of being an emergency physician is the fact that you always are shifting your shifts, so to speak. You're, you work at a.m., and then maybe a few days later you're working in the p.m., and then a few days later you're working an overnight shift in the middle of the night, and then you have to keep your sleep cycles straightened out and make sure that you show up, you know, uh, you know, well rested, and that you know you don't get irritable and depressed from all that sleep uh, disruption. Um, oh so my the God. shifts are so the shifts themselves get you pretty amped up sometimes. You know, at least they do me a couple of cups of coffee or a Pepsi Cola, and I'm pretty amped up. And uh, and uh, you know, coming getting home sometimes you still have that energy. And uh, but. Uh, you know, eight eight to eleven hours is pretty much what I work. Oh my gosh, I work eight hours in the emergency department and go home tired. So I can't imagine doing your different shifts. I have the same shift every Friday, and you have yeah. shifts all week. Oh my gosh, I I didn't actually realize that. So I have. But well, we have. Uh, it's pretty crowded too. I mean, it's not like there's really not much downtime. Even you know, your phone is ringing all. You're constantly being asked to do more, and uh, you know there's really no limit to the amount you can give. Is if you you're there to give what you know what you have to give, and then what else is left over, I suppose. And um, to the extent that there's something left over, you can deliver it. But uh, it's uh, you know it, it's it's physically challenging, mentally challenging, psychologically challenging overall. Um, and I and I love it, you know. Honestly, I really do. I, I feel it's almost like a sport, you know. Um, it's a lot of balls in the air, so to speak, and a lot of things to keep track of. And uh, you know, to the degree that I can keep myself fit enough to to, to pull that off uh, on a regular basis, I, I find that to be a challenge. 
I think it gives our listeners a whole a whole new respect for emergency physicians. Oh my gosh! What were you going to say? Oh, I was just asking if you understood what I was saying. Um, uh, so, 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 you know, there are a lot of lot of technical challenges, and many people want to hear stories of the emergency room. But from the perspective of what we're talking about here, I think the most important fact is that it is. It's, it's pretty all-encompassing and leaves you pretty drained. And um, if there's any any career that would require a rainbow, so to speak, um, this mm. is one of them, I think. Um, and so... So, where, um, we're, yes. we're coming up on a break in about, I don't know, a minute okay. and a half. So I wanted to ask you about the three most common challenges that you address in the emergency department, but maybe we could just start with one before our break. Okay. Challenges in terms of clinical activity or my personal psychological activity? Either either or. Either or. Um, I think uh, one, uh, probably number one, is... uh, not internalizing everyone's um, stress. I think that's the biggest challenge, honestly. Um, detachment, I think, is the word. And, uh, you know, if you're able to uh, get through a shift without getting too rattled, um, you've succeeded. Okay. So we're going to have to go to a break, Dr. Birdsong. Listeners, sure. we will be right back with our amazing guest today, Dr. William Birdsong. This is Dr. Susan Blank, Medical Director for the Atlanta Healing Center. Our team is able to offer a multitude of treatment options such as quantitative EEG, also known as brain mapping, hormonal and nutritional assessments, neuropsychological testing, and cognitive therapy, along with traditional 12-step facilitation. And we can even offer you, if appropriate, a gentle medically managed detox. Please contact us at 770-696-9862. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Get your pen and paper ready. If there is a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
welcome back, listeners, with Dr. William Birdsong, who is an emergency department physician, and he has a rainbow to share. But before we go to that rainbow about learning as an adult, uh, we're going to go back to the emergency department and get a, a, an inside view. So welcome back, Dr. Birdsong, and we were talking about common challenges. And so you gave us one. Do you have maybe two more or one more? Sure. Sure. Um, so I first talked about detachment. I think that's really important. Um, I think uh, the sleep cycle thing is, is, is a huge one for us emergency physicians, the fact that we work uh, odd shifts and are often switching back and forth, and that essentially requires sleep. <laughs> and sleep is the, sleep is the key uh, to uh Good performance in emergency uh, as, as an emergency physician, I guarantee you, um, it's the you know the, the main uh, ingredient I think to uh, mental health and performance in that respect. Um, getting that sorted out, and I think for me the the answer is sleep when you can, <laughs> sleep <laughs> sleep when possible, and uh, avoid stimulants when needed. Um, but uh, for the most part, uh, that that has gotten better. I think it's just a matter of listening to your body and and uh, making sure you uh, you know uh, get the right amount of sleep. I, I tend to sleep. I may sleep more than non-emergency physicians in some respects. I, I don't sleep as regularly, but when I sleep, I, I try to sleep long. And uh, you know, so I will, whenever possible, extend. You know. You know, because I know that I've got a deficit, I'll do 10 hours if I can. A lot of emergency physicians struggle with actually falling asleep, um, and that has been an issue from time to time. But I think the main thing is listening. You know, a lot of times that happens when you're trying to sleep when you're not tired or sleep when you're yeah. amped up. And I think really listening to your body and knowing uh, what, uh, you know, what what's going to work for you. And for me, it's basically sleep when you're tired. And if you're not tired, don't try too hard. Uh, take advantage of that time to do something creative. Um, sometimes the, the emergency work, like I said, gets you kind of amped up, and I'll actually use some of that energy to do my own personal activities. Sometimes after work, a little yeah. echomania going, and I can get stuff done. <laughs> so, Dr. Birdsong, any special reasons why you decided to become a physician? A physician in general? Um, uh, yeah. Yeah, there is. Uh, well, I decided to become a physician pretty carefully. I remember uh, when I was uh, in my early 20s, I met my wife. She wasn't my wife at the time, but I had studied and uh, probably changed my major every time I changed, you know, it, it was a mental process of what my major was when I was in college. It was constantly whatever I was thinking about. But I did happen to take all the sort of the science courses, um, thinking perhaps I was trying to be an engineer or something, and uh, got a little bit put off by engineering in general. I wasn't too excited about uh, just the, I don't know, something about it didn't really excite me. I took a kind of a hiatus when I was at Santa Cruz and just allowed myself to study whatever I felt like studying for a while and really took the advice of some of my professors, which was, you know, don't make a decision until you really feel like you know who you are. Mm. 
And um, so I kind of allowed myself to do that. And then took a trip to Europe and felt like adults on the verge of being adults. And we were like, what are we going to do with our lives? And we literally went to the library and looked at what color is your parachute and various other sources (laughs) and read about them. And this is uh, after a summer trip to Europe that my wife and I took. And uh, it was my wife's idea. She said, how about medicine? And at the time, it sounded kind of crazy because I had a sense that I had sort of painted myself or or had this trajectory of science, hard science going, and then I had kind of changed and done a lot of art and theater and, and stuff like that. And I really was a little bit perplexed at how I was going to make myself look like. And this really gets at the theme that I wanted to talk about today. This is, you know, how am I going to convince other people that I'm serious about being a doctor when I have this kind of checkerboard past of changing my major and, and art and theater and things like that? And I was a little bit worried about that. But my wife reassured me that if I just put my, you know, put one foot in front of the other with, and, and did this in a couple of years, it would be pretty clear that's what I wanted to do. And she was absolutely right. And, uh, and here you are, you know, and here I am. I think the main, the main things that, that, that really attracted me and perhaps the, if I can't remember, it was a personality questionnaire or whatever that directed me to this, but the fact that it did fairly well integrate the, uh, the emotional, uh, human interaction with a sense of science and mastery and, and uh, sort of the technological. Accumulation of everything that you were interested in or wanted to do. It and was in a way. Yeah. I'm curious if you had any personal issues that you've had to overcome. How do you mean that? Like well, psychological, um, physical? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have a I have a deformity of my left hand that was made me anxious a little bit, uh, especially before I became a physician. I was wondering if it was going to work out, whether maybe I wouldn't be able to do surgery or or, or things. I have what's uh, uh, I have short fingers on one of my hands, and actually a short finger on my right hand, which is dominant. My left hand. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen people with this Brady dactyly or small hands. Um, I am, and this is ironic, I have to consider myself exceedingly lucky that despite having this, I have an opposable thumb, and the hand is essentially functional despite this uh, this deformity. And so uh, I think one of the things that has been a challenge for me is you know, having the you know, always having a little bit of ambivalence about whether I'm going to be able to do something. Um, and I think it's been in the back of my mind since I was a child. But it seems like my life, I've essentially proven myself wrong consistently, and that I can do things that I never thought I would be able to do. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh, I think it's so inspiring for for people who don't have any physical challenges. To, we think, oh, we couldn't possibly do A, B, and C, and yes, we can. Yeah. And and so, even if you have a physical or a mental challenge, yes, you can. Yeah, you often can. I I don't know. I I think for me, working around is one way of thinking of it, or working with. Um, but you know, whether you 
think of it as a disability or a different ability. Um, it, it's a bit of a challenge. I mean, honestly, and you know, it, it really you really come to face with some reality. I mean, I cannot play the bridge of a guitar with my left hand. I have to play left-handed. But that that simple accommodation was something that required me to have faith. <laughs> and uh, yes, and, so and, the and the same and the same and the same. And the same goes with surgical procedures and things like that. I think when I applied to medical school, I was a little anxious that when they started giving us surgical gloves and having us tie knots and do things that I was not going to be able to do it. But it turned out that, you know, with a few little, uh, well, that I can. <laughs> and, uh, yes, you so can. And yes, you I did. Can, and I now I can do... So now I can, you know, I'm not a general surgeon. I won't take out your appendix, but I can, you know, fix some pretty nasty deep lacerations and eyeball things and, you know, do all kinds of procedures, which I'm actually pretty proud of. That's one of the things I think that I'm excel at, ironically, perhaps, or not. Um, but uh, it has given me... I don't know. It gives me a little bit of happiness to know that I've overcome that, at least in that regard. Um, well, Dr. Birdsong, I think it just is such a fabulous role model for any of us who think we have some kind of challenge one way or another that we can work with it, work through it, overcome it, and that we can aspire to do what our dreams are. And I want to switch well, I think a little bit. It's interesting. I was also I was also somewhat realistic. I I didn't go into general surgery. I you know, and it's interesting when I make that choice. I think back. I, you know, maybe I could have. <laughs> um, I chose yeah, emergency yeah, maybe medicine, you could have. But I, but I chose I'm, emergency medicine for a number of reasons, not just because I thought I couldn't do surgery. But it was an interesting. It was a, even emergency physician has a, a lot of or emergency medicine has a lot of procedures, and so I had to uh, make that decision, and when the procedures started being taught and I was able to do them, I was, you know, happy. Well, I don't think I was surprised that much, but, you know, you never know what someone's going to say, you know, hold this thing with this finger that you don't have might be <laughs> might be a problem. Um, but it, it didn't turn out to be. We have about a minute, bef uh, actually maybe a little mm -hmm. less, before we come to another hard break, Dr. Birdsong. So. Okay. In, in just a, a short time, I want you to share with us how soon after you became a physician and established your career path did you discover your interest in music, and then I might have to interrupt you for the break. Okay. Go ahead. Well, I've, I've actually been playing music since fourth grade. I was in all the bands in high school and elementary school and junior high school. And uh, because of my medical studies, pre-med and medical school, really kind of had to put it aside for a while, but I think it was always on my agenda to bring it back. Mm. Okay, so um, I've heard some of your music, and as we said earlier, you did me the honor of producing the music that's our lead-in and lead-out music for this program, and I want to, again, thank you so very much. But we are going to have to Thanks. go for, to a break, and we will be sure. back, listeners, with Dr. William Birdsong. Emergency Physician Extraordinaire. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. 
Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Get your pen and paper ready. If there is a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back, to, back, listeners, to Dr. Ann's Relationship Radio. We are so honored today to have an emergency department physician with us giving us a a look at the backside of the emergency department. But he's going to talk about learning new things as an adult. That's the main reason that we are here with him today. And I, you told us before the break, Dr. Birdsong, that you discovered your interest in music in fourth grade. What instruments yep. do you play? Uh, well, so I was a drummer. I uh, played a drum set beginning in fourth grade in elementary school they had the band and mr martin would come twice a week and we would go to the auditorium and play music and that was uh, the beginning i played drums pretty much through high school and into college i was in a couple of bands and had a good time with it i always was a little bit this is similar to my challenge with you know, my hand in emergency medicine, it's just this sort of sense that, well, I figured out how to play the drums and it's working. I stuck with it and uh, I, I, was, I was a little worried. I, you know, I, I, I dabbled at the piano and the keyboard a little bit, but I think I never really was willing to jump off the deep end and really go for it with one of these other instruments, perhaps because of a concern that I wasn't going to be able to, to, to cut it with, because of my what, disability or my hand. Um, yeah, you're telling. That's true. So what's, what's your favorite instrument? 
Well, I, I love them all for different reasons, but what's happened now is I've started to uh, record music in my home. My kids started playing, and my son picked up the piano and the guitar, and I took his guitar and flipped it upside down and felt out the idea of playing left-handed and holding the pick with my left hand, which fortunately I can do, and I realized, gee, maybe I can do this. So I picked up the bass a few years ago and started taking lessons and learned to play the bass guitar. So now I could play the bass and the drums, and that allowed me to lay down some basic tracks in a recording kind of setting. And uh, just out of, you know, and then I could piece together some keyboards and over time uh, started to find that I needed some guitar and so I bought a guitar and started playing around with that and basically the whole thing has been out of just necessity you know learning each of these instruments not so much like I sat down and said oh, I'm going to learn to play the guitar but more like oh this this song needs some guitar here maybe I can do it and so I got a guitar and I just recently started doing the guitar a little bit and it's working out. I'm excited. So you learned that as an adult? Yeah, yeah. So the bass and the guitar I've learned literally in the last five years. Oh, my gosh. Any stumbling blocks that you discovered while learning something new as an adult? Well, I think the biggest stumbling block is just the fear that I wasn't going to succeed. And <laughs> I think I, I think when I look back on it, I, I, my biggest disappointment is I should have started this a while back. And perhaps it was uh, lack of faith or something that prevented me from trying it, but uh, I'm, I'm pleased that I well, have. Well, yes, because um, you play the keyboard also, right? I do, yeah, a little bit. Not You wouldn't want to listen to me live, but when you're recording music... You have the ability to go real slow, do multiple takes, you know. So for practical purposes, when it comes to performance, I'm confident probably at singing and drums and bass and adequate on guitar and keyboards for recording purposes. Does that make sense? Yes, totally. And so from the fourth grade, you sort of expanded um, and experimented with this side interest. Well, it's funny. I had a dream, and I had a dream. I mean, if you want to talk about following your dreams, I literally had the dream um, around 19, sometime in the late 80s or early 90s, I had a dream where I came home, and I think I was coming home from an emergency room, and I walked into a house, and there was a music studio set up in the living room. And it's just a vivid image. That was... That's pretty much all I can remember of the dream, but it really stuck with me, and it kind of suddenly became a sort of a visual snapshot of where I wanted to be going to. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So and I have and another so, question about the guitar learning. The, sure. It requires a lot of hand and finger techniques, and I want to know right. if you had any challenges outside of the ones you already have oh, yeah. um, in learning these new motor skills. Um, you know, it's funny you should mention that. I think you're referring to, to aging, learning new skills, and the brain. Yeah. I, I think I may have a little bit of an advantage in that I've been doing a lot of these things with, you know, in other venues, doing surgery, playing drums, um, you know, noodling on the keyboards, um, but not really doing it. Uh, I, 
and and also my general understanding of music and music theory was there. So it, now it's just a matter of you know getting my you know getting my fingers in the right place, and that's you know that's an ongoing thing when it comes to practicing the guitar. But um, I don't know if I am up against any upper limits in terms of what I can do, but. You know, that's not really important to me. I'm not really trying to become an expert guitar player so much as just enjoy the thing and, and, and be able to make my recordings. Yeah, so so the, biggest, the biggest, you know, motor skills, I did, uh, you know, making a, making a bar chord is the biggest motor skill challenge right now <laughs> for guitar. Well, I used to be a really good pianist when I was a lot younger, and Uh I took it back up again as an adult, and I will tell you, the fingering on the piano was really uh, challenging, and I had to really practice to get the agility back. So in some ways it's really comforting to know that as as adults we can take up what we did in the past or we can learn something new, and the, the, the motor skill learning is... I guess a matter of patience and practice. Could we say that? Well, I think patience and practice are, are, are it, but I think ultimately it's really uh, persistence and um, patience and uh, the uh, you know the stick-to-itiveness and uh, the commitment. And ultimately, I think the biggest advantage. You know, the biggest strength that I have is this general commitment. You know, the idea that this is not something that this is this is something I'm going to work on a little bit every day. And you can't not get better if you do that. I think you know you get frustrated in the early stages and you put it aside. uh, But Mm -hmm. you'd be amazed, you know, with five to fifteen minutes a day just holding an instrument and playing it. I mean, you're going to get, you're going to improve, you know, and if you could turn that into an hour or more, you know, you're really going to improve. Um, so I, I think that it's really more about commitment, and I think that that is one of the things that makes makes me more successful in, in, in many of my uh, ventures is uh, the commitment to a, a, an ideal that, you know, is, Bigger than 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 me, and to continue to 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 work at it. So, and I think, like I said, I think the dream, having a dream thirty years ago, and still having that picture in my head now, um, is a metaphor for for a strength that I have discovered, which is this sense of you know commitment. That and if you commit to something. It, it's like a marriage or a relationship that you you're saying I'm going to do this no matter what good or bad challenges everything included I'm going to continue to do it and that's that's what it is and I think if you are able to commit almost like a marriage like you know through better or for worse um, yeah now Dr. Bertson you you told me that you built a music room for yourself so would you share with our listeners how you decided to create a dedicated room for your music? Yeah, well, I mean, you see, it comes out of my my dream that I had thirty years ago of a music studio in my in my home, um, and basically, it just became a necessity. I played the drums. Drums are loud. 
Um, they don't sound too good in many rooms. They sound a lot better if there's some sound absorption on the walls. If you put up some uh, simple sound absorption and put them in a bigger room and put microphones on them, they can sound really good. And uh, so it was like primarily the drums that want, made me want to do that so that I could make really good recordings. Hmm. Well, I've seen your music room, and listeners, it is gorgeous. You created like this, I don't know, this creative, quiet, beautiful room that I can just picture you in doing your thing with music. Um, what went into creating your your music room? I, mean, I know you told me about soundproofing, which you just mentioned, but how did you figure out how to do it? Because, indeed, it looks like a professional room. Uh, well, you know, when you design a music studio, you can purchase these sound-baffling things online or in a music store, and they're kind of expensive. I got this idea that I was going to make them myself out of uh, fiberglass, or, uh, uh, yeah, they're fiberglass insulation panels. And, you know, I started that and played around with it, and then just uh, over the last year kind of got that music my wife was kind enough to give me the room. We've got two living rooms, so she gave me that one for the music, and uh, and uh, it's coming along now. It's uh, you know, there's a couple of other things I want to do, but but it's made it really. I mean, the drums sound great in there. That's the main thing. Yeah, and I know you've also taken up singing. What prompted you to do this? <laughs> Again, necessity. Uh, you know, I. <laughs> I think my goal was to just make make music, and because of my schedule, I don't really have a lot of time to coordinate rehearsals and stuff. And I've pretty much just been a solo project, and so I, uh, I I I thought I would eventually work with a singer, but just out of the you know, and I probably will eventually work with more singers, but I just needed it, and so I started. I thought, well, I need to learn what this is about, so I started taking. Lessons with uh, someone who, uh, Alexis Paris here in Berkeley, who teaches the speech level singing, and uh, took lessons with him for about a year, and then uh, switched over now and taking uh, lessons with Sandy Cressman, uh, she's a beautiful Brazilian singer here in Berkeley. She actually has some albums out and such, and mm. um, and it's helped me. Uh, I, I think I understand the voice better. I, I certainly know for a fact my voice is better. I don't think that I, I yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm probably a okay singer. I, <laughs> you may or may not like my voice, but I, I certainly know that it's way better than it was when, before I started. And, and I, I like it. I like the instrument. I think it's a fantastic instrument. You take it wherever you go. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, it's better than a harmonica. You know. Um, <laughs> Well, and, I've heard you sing. I've heard your singing, yeah. and as an objective person, not as a, uh, a co-worker, I just think you have a really nice voice, and I hope you keep practicing. We're coming up on a break, and so listeners, we will take that break, and we will be back with our honored guest today, Dr. William Birdsong, who's an emergency department physician. We will be right back. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. 
Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors. And should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And 
uh, it's not a diaphragm kind of breathing thing so much as an air movement thing. And I think the biggest thing that I have discovered is an awareness of the apparatus down there, so to speak. Um, you know, I, I know a little bit about the anatomy of the vocal cords and such, but you know, it's a mystery when you make those sounds exactly what's going on down there. And this flow phonation technique uh, attunes your mind to those subtle changes. And the the, the essence of it is to maintain a, a, a steady flow of air across the vocal cords. Um, it comes a little bit out of um, uh, the, uh, I guess there's another a vocal technique uh, from 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 opera, um, but this is kind of an adaptation of it. And I think and that plus the speech level. So speech level singing is about getting the vocal cords to close and vibrate, and flow phonation is about getting the apparatus around that to make the flow good. And so there's probably more than this. There's multiple pedagogies out there for singing, but these are the ones that I've been exposed to. It's been pretty helpful. Well, being able to carry a tune is helpful, too, which I can't do. So well, the way that you carry, carry a tune, tune is, yeah, so you close the vocal cords and you move air across them, right? Those are, <laughs> and so these two techniques uh, are really about identifying, you know, that feeling of vocal cord closure and that feeling of air movement. If you combine those, you've got a good sound. I mean... Really? Because I carry my tune in a paper bag, and I just, I, <laughs> people say, oh, my God, please don't sing, so I don't. Really? But it's, it's well, nice you, to well, know you that it might be a possibility. Give it a I try. I am, honestly, when I started singing, if I, I was, I wouldn't sing for anybody. I, I <laughs> it's, uh, you know, and I'm still, I'm still improving, but uh, I think it's, uh, you know, it, it feels so good to sing when you sing, and, and when you make a good sound and it's coming from your body, it's it's a nice thing. <laughs> yeah, and I'm curious, too, about where did you acquire your love for Latin and Brazilian music? Because many of us like rock and roll or techno rock or whatever. Oh, I like all that. In fact, right mm-hmm. now I'm not in a... I'm not currently in a Brazilian phase. I think you are reading my biography when I was really... I met a Brazilian... Uh, teacher um, named Marco Silva, uh, who teaches at the jazz school in Berkeley, and he's a kind of a world-class piano player, played with Ayerto and Flora Parim, and um, teaches here in the Bay Area, and he had some music ensembles, and so I would uh, go down there once a week and play with a, like a five to seven piece ensemble, and we focused on Brazilian tunes from the you know, from the Bossa Nova and later eras from Brazil. And so and now I, you, I got, you've moved on to contemporary stuff. I've moved on to contemporary primarily because the Brazilian stuff requires chops. And I've got the chops on the drums, but, to, you know, the bass and <laughs> yeah. uh, all the other instruments, the recorded stuff really... It's really a, it's an ensemble thing. It's not a lot of solo work. You can you can record uh, pop songs all by yourself in your in your you know living room or your bedroom. But but Brazilian music's an ensemble. I, I love playing it. I love playing it live with other persons. Um, but it's not exactly something to do uh, solo in a studio. So I want to ask but, you some technical sure. stuff. Okay. Sure. So for many of us, it's really challenging to learn something new as an adult. 
and I noticed personally, because I've tried to learn Spanish forever, and it is so difficult for me to remember all the vocabulary, the verb tenses, and could you describe some of the changes that take place in the brain that makes learning as an adult so difficult? And Dr. Birdsong, please do this in terms that our listeners can understand, <laughs> like me. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not a neuroscientist, uh, although I did do neurotoxicology research back yes, in the day. Yes, you did. But, um, you know, so, so some of the things that we, we you know, the brain development is interesting, and, and uh, children can learn very well because their brain is very plastic and can form new connections between neurons. And a little kid exposed to new things learns them very rapidly. But the conundrum is to preserve that learning, you have to prune and you have to decrease the number of uh, connections. And, and so there's a sort of a trade-off in the brain in terms of new connections versus solid connections, if you will. And over time, the connections solidify. And while that is advantageous, it makes us more able to have a personality and a stable, you know, vocabulary neurologically, so to speak, it it uh, ends up uh, making it harder to learn new things. And I think if you, a couple of things that help you, um, you know, one is to carry a good vocabulary into your adult years to develop it as a child. So, you know, your 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 early years are really important for for. For developing the initial connections and then preserving them as you get older just means continuing to use them and you know I suppose uh, I'm not starting these things totally from scratch I've had some musical education throughout my life but but I think uh, neurologically uh, I'm fortunate in that I have laid down a lot of good connections as a child which I can draw on now are they lasting? They seem to be holding out. <laughs> well, because you keep using them, right? I think that's the thing. And I think also the other skills, you know, the, the skills of, of, of grit and determination are also key because, like I said, you know, you, you may feel that you're failing at something, um, but the persistence has, has a lot to do with it. Uh, but I'm in terms of... Yeah, go ahead. I'm wondering... So um, if you would describe for us the natural progression of, of aging, is there any way we can offset this process? And I think we just touched on that. Okay. Yeah. Do you, have any, do you have any tips you could give us? <laughs> well, um, I think it's important to understand where you are in the life cycle, sort of. Um, I think it's helpful to um, acknowledge that there will be a decline, <laughs> and uh, yet, I think also, if you want to continue doing things into old age, you have to do them regularly. Um, And I think that it's all about routine. Honestly, it it has to be integrated into your into your routine and your daily activities. And um, is it learning a new skill or developing an old skill or or you know, retaining an old skill, I think all of the all of them require practice. And you know, uh, I just happen to find a, a, a way of doing this. It doesn't feel like a, a chore. Uh, I talk to people who say, "Oh, I'm going to learn the piano, but I hate sitting there learning those things." And I, 
I'm not sitting there learning those things. I'm just figuring out what I need to do for my current project, and I think that helps so that it's not a, I don't know, it doesn't feel like a school. It feels like just my own deal, and so that, that helps. I, I, I think I think owning it. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, I'm a writer, but honestly, I never wrote anything except maybe a, mm-hmm. a thesis, but I wasn't wanting to be a writer, but somehow... In my older age, it's just uh, a prolific thing, and I'm wondering, wow, that's really good for my brain, but I don't know where that came from. Have you ever experienced things like that? Like, like I come from it as from the, yeah, I come from it from like I've always wanted to do this my whole life, and I'm finally doing it. That seems to be a little bit of the mantra for me. I'm, I'm constantly, I, I've had all these things on my <laughs> my list, so to speak. I think what, what makes it possible is making the space for it. I mean, you, you're clearing your mental and, you know, physical space to actually accomplish this task, and you're, you know, and you're doing it. I think you have it, whether you have it in you, you'll never know in, until you try. And I think that, that the dedication and the commitment is really what makes it happen. I think that, that, that and, and clearing the space, you know, I, I think we, we tend to fill our lives with stuff uh, that may not be, you know, eight, it, it, it's, well, it's like what I'm telling my, my teenage kid. I said, if it's not applying to your goals right now, then it's not, you know, that, uh, it's all about what you put in your head and how you spend your mental energy. And if you're focused on your goals, yeah. Most of the time, then you're going to pull it off. But if your mind is Ooh. wandering and it's on social media, it's on television, it's on sports, it's on yeah. all the other distractions, then it won't. So it's really about a focused approach Thank to you. life Dr. as the product. We have, yeah. I'm sorry I had to interrupt you, but we've come to the end of our program. Boy, was that fast. And I want to thank you so much for being such a phenomenal guest. It's been an honor to thank share you. this hour with you and listeners. There you have it from the emergency department and a spectacular physician, I know that for sure. Keep learning, make goals, overcome challenges, exercise, reach for rainbows, and always remember that only you can create your world the way you want it to be. Until next week, this is Dr. End sending you a rainbow. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.